Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, joined by Rania Kalik. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And uh, it's good to be back to talk with you. Uh, you know, we never quite know if we're going to appear by video or if we're going to talk or and just do audio. I suppose after a grueling... It was more last minute. Yeah. Last minute. After and you have been waking up, but yeah, you've been waking up at like three in the morning, so you can't possibly look good enough for video right now. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. I'm uh, looking like an extra for The Walking Dead at this moment. <laughs> no, but like that can't. So, Kevin, you've been covering the Assange trial, at, which is UK time. I mean, it's amazing. You've been waking up. You were just talking about this before we started recording that you've been going to bed every night at like 8 p.m., so you can wake up at 3 a.m., which is. Pretty amazing on your part. I don't think I could train your body to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it because I think you're the only person who's like covering this yeah. pretty regularly. Like, is the Intercept even covering the Assange trial? Like, I, nope. I haven't seen anybody really covering nope. it. The Just you. Intercept did not get a credential. And as far as I know, they did not apply for a credential before to uh, cover these proceedings. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, there are people who are credentialed from the New York Times, the Guardian, uh, there's some outlets in the UK, like a Court News UK outlet, Consortium News is credentialed, and Richard Medhurst has done some great tweeting com- and some YouTube commentary. Uh, Juan pa- Passarelli, who's a filmmaker, has done some excellent tweeting. He was a guest on Useful Idiots with Matt Taibbi and Kate- Katie Halper, both friends of the show though uh it's it's been grueling it was another really intense week and and this morning i had a fight for my access to the proceedings because i was locked out by the court officers who claimed they later apologized but claimed that i had joined after the cutoff for getting into the room in order to view the courtroom feed and it just wasn't true. And so I spent the entire morning. I have an attorney in the United Kingdom that has been helping me to maintain my access. Um, and I put it that way because now I, they actually did help me get my access restored. But uh, before we had the extradition trial, I actually applied to the court to request for remote video access because I didn't know how they were going to manage press. There wasn't anything released and I didn't want to travel to the UK during a global pandemic. So I outlined a lot of reasons why they needed to make a video link available to journalists. And then two days later they had some kind of a policy so that I could sign up for a login. And I, I log in to see a courtroom video feed every day. Um, and yeah, many time zones removed from the proceedings, so it makes it a little more complicated. But today was wild. Uh, but eventually I did get an apology from the court for being wrong, and they did verify that what they did was inappropriate. Well, I'm glad that you finally got in. I mean, what you just said is pretty insane, like the lack of coverage. I know we talked about this last week, but it's really... Uh... It's really shocking. So you've got Julian Assange not only being tortured for doing journalism, but you've also got like the fact that the like how this trial plays out could have huge 
uh, implications for the future on the future of journalism, uh, like huge negative consequences for future journalism, and like the progressive media is just like. I don't know. I don't know why they're not paying attention to this. I mean, we talked about last week how, like, everybody's been sort of propagandized to just hate Julian Assange for his personality. Yeah. Um, so they're too busy hating him for his personality to, like, to, like, care about the consequences of this. Or, like, he just made out, you know, they made him out to be this, like, white supremacist Russian agent. Um, but, yeah, it's been really, really, like... Sad to see, like, the, you know, there's, like, this big campaign by people. They're, like, pardon Edward Snowden, pardon Edward Snowden. But, like, and Edward Snowden should be pardoned. Like, he should be able to come back to the country. But he's also not rotting away and being tortured. At least he's, like, able to live his life, you know, even if it's in another country. Whereas, like, Julian Assange is, like, rotting away. They're trying to criminalize journalism. And there's just not a movement of people calling for him to be pardoned. And, uh, Have you for, noticed that? Well, yeah. And, and, well, for what it's worth, um, I, I, I do want to be clear here because I think there's been some distinctions drawn. Uh, I, I, Edward Snowden has been entirely supportive of Julian Assange, so the effort to like differentiate. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to suggest. Yeah. No, no, no. But I just not. Not, not, I'm, I'm not saying you are. I've seen others saying that he might not be doing enough to show solidarity with Julian Assange, um, and he and. Uh, I, there was an interview he did with Joe Rogan where he also talked about people prosecuted under the Espionage Act under Trump that he believes should be pardoned too, uh, and uh, you know he he feels like he doesn't want to be a political pawn and like beg for a pardon from Donald Trump and and he makes a good point that a pardon is not a contract like you're not supposed to do anything. Uh, that might be how Roger Stone is using it, but uh, it's it's not the way that it's supposed to work, that, like, you owe something to Donald Trump if he pardons you. Um, although he's kind of doing that. Alice Johnson, who was pardoned for a, a nonviolent drug offense that ended her up, she was in jail for a very long time. This is who Kim Kardashian advocated for. Right. She ended up going to the Republican National Convention and speaking for him. <laughs> so um, it's I, I don't know what... The agreement was to get the pardon, but I mean, it seems like she's being definitely um, conned into doing stuff. So, anyways, um, just just to be clear here on what is at stake, I heard in the final day of the second week that the U.S. government is now openly saying that um, even though there's never been a prosecution in the United States under the Espionage Act of a journalist, that they do not believe that the law says they are not allowed to prosecute media uh they uh, and that that had not that had not been their open position until this week until this week doesn't that make the assange case even stronger yeah in terms of like political persecution like you can't extradite this guy because it's political persecution like they're blatantly saying that Yes, somewhat. So, like, up, up last week, it was he's not a journalist, and we're not prosecuting him for publishing sure. information. And now this week, it's well, the Espionage Act doesn't actually say that we can't prosecute journalists for publishing classified information. <laughs> and then they also add that um, you know, the Pentagon Papers case. We had, we had Daniel Ellsberg testify on. The, on Wednesday in the second week, and that was some great testimony. 
um, and he exploded all kinds of um, uh, many myths about Assange because he is constantly in his life. This is an 87, 88 year old man. He is constantly had to deal with people saying he's the good leaker and Assange is right. the bad leaker or Chelsea Manning's the bad leaker or Edward Snowden did it wrong and he did it right. And, uh, you know, they said, uh, so the other thing was that, uh, she mentioned that the, this, this New York times case that was brought against the law basically set it out to where like the door is left open for prosecuting journalists. It was like, well, yeah, obviously the New York times case involving the Pentagon papers was, does the government have a right to prevent the media from publishing classified information? It wasn't. You know, should journalists be prosecuted under the Espionage Act? We still have this – I mean, I, I know that we all are very jaded and cynical in these times, but we still have a First Amendment. And up to this point, until this case, it has protected from any successful prosecution. And it still stands as a protection because there actually is no trial yet, and it hasn't resulted in a conviction. So it, it, it absolutely stands up. And even if Julian Assange is convicted, he could probably appeal – that it violates First Amendment or constitutional due process rights that he should have. So anyways, I just state that to say you're right that all of these people in uh, the, you know, in media should absolutely be taking this far more seriously. Uh, I saw that you got into it with Anna Kasparian with the Young Turks uh, because uh, they haven't covered it. Uh, I didn't even yeah. really get into it. I mean, she someone tweeted a video of her, I guess, on their one of their programs. Like, one of their um, viewers had... They were, like, taking uh, viewer comments and questions. And so she was reading them out loud. And one viewer had said something along the lines of, like, Julian Assange is being tortured. What do you think about that? Um, and so she read that out loud. And then she responded with this sort of flippant... Uh, well, uh, uh, I'll look into that and like moved on. Um, and so somebody put that online being like, what the fuck? Why is the Young Turks not covering this? This clip is like outrageous. And so that was my immediate reaction. And I saw that clip. I was just like, what the fuck? Mm. And so I like quote tweeted it. And I was like, I was like, what the fuck? Look into what? Like, what do you have to look into? <laughs> like, I'll look into it. We know what the Julian Assange case is. There's nothing to look into. Uh, you either get it or you don't. I didn't say that. I just said, what the fuck? Look into it. What do you, what do you mean? Look into it. And then I, I had a follow-up response. I was like, I don't remember exactly what I said. I'm paraphrasing, but obviously, like, the message I was trying to get across is, like, there's, you know, so many, like, uh, it's very sad and scary that so many, like, left and progressive uh, people have been propagandized to, to hate Julian Assange so much for his personality that they're, like, not even remotely concerned or maybe they don't even notice that, like, the future of journalism is at stake with this case. This guy is being tortured for exposing war crimes and has huge implications for the future of journalism. So I said something along the lines of that. And then she just like, I think a lot of people were upset with the way she responded that to that comment. Um, and then she responded to what I said and like basically like called, I don't even know, it was like a opportunistic jerk off or something. <laughs> She, she was really she was pretty rude to you. Like she thought uh, what you had done was like, terribly unfair. Totally. So I don't think what I did was unfair. What I freaking, you don't like, you don't think people are allowed to criticize you. Like I'm people criticize me all the time. I don't, they're all opportunistic jerk offs. Plus I wasn't an asshole about it. I was just, I made like a, a general comment based on what she said about, about the left in general. Like, 
I didn't even like, I didn't even like address it to her specifically. You know what I mean? It was like a general comment that applies to not just the young Turks, but it applies to the intercept too. It applies to democracy. Now it applies to the nation magazine. And it's not that these outlets are, are supportive of the prosecution of Julian Assange. They're not, they're just ignoring it. Like, even Jacobin, I was looking at Jacobin, like they haven't, I mean, they, they, the last thing, the last time they published anything about Julian Assange was like last year, it was a year ago. Like there's a huge trial going on right now. This is very important what's happening and you're like the only person covering it. Anyway, the comment I, I didn't think the comment I made was fair. I completely stand, stand beside it because I really try not to personalize things. Um, especially when it comes to people, other people who are like, you know, in the progressive media. But I mean, I think her, I mean, her response, I think her response was really unfair. Like, like it's just like like ad hominem like attack like why is that your response like address the issue also she's like she's you know she she's sort of a part of the progressive left that like i don't have any problem with her but she kind of like lives in a different bubble and kind of pretends like people like us don't exist yeah um you know like and then you even that's what so you even said something you responded in a, in a kinder way than i did where you were like, you know, like, I don't really agree with like, you know, like this bickering back and forth. And then you offered, you know, to like, you guys can invite me on your show. I've been covering the trial and I'm happy to come and talk about it. Did they ever say anything to you? No, I did not get a media request. But that day they interviewed Daniel Ellsberg, which, you know, is well, which it's is good. which is fine. And I think, you know, while we could critique and I, I think it's fair if we want to critique, we could say, all right, well, that's he's actually been a go-to guy for CNN and other outlets when they aren't covering Assange. He seems like a pretty safe guest. He has a lot of credibility with the WikiLeaks supporters, and he also has establishment support. So he's been a kind of, I think, you know, very oddly enough, although I don't know if this would make Daniel Ellsberg uncomfortable, um, he does respect my work, but he's kind of a centrist in the eyes of the... U.S. media because, you know, they think that what he did was a reasonable act of whistleblowing, um, and he would say it was as well, but but then you also have the fact that he gets support from the left because he is pretty strong in his criticisms and his principles uh, around anti-war and uh, even, I'd say, anti-imperialism for what it's worth. Um, he's he's been a pretty consistent guy when it comes to issues of peace. Uh, he went to the embassy and met with Julian Assange and shared how he had a conversation with Julian Assange about government transparency and how we are consistently lied to by the U.S. military. And they both agreed that it's frustrating that we have so much information, but it's all about keeping us in the dark about what these wars are while... Uh, the stuff that is true about our wars are kept entirely secret so that we don't know how they're unfolding. And uh, it, so, you know, the way I responded was uh, somewhat related to the fact that I am focused on doing this coverage. And I think, like, if I was in your position, I might be frustrated by the media. I, I probably would be highly critical even of progressive media who are mostly ignoring this uh, establishment media outlets, of course, are far worse because they have way more resources and there isn't any excuse for them to not be doing daily coverage of what's happening in the Assange extradition trial. But to me, I just think this was the point I made. And actually, Julian Assange's mother liked it, which is 
I'd rather elevate the people who are actually doing this work rather than spend my energy complaining about uh, particularly any outlets that are liberal or progressive that are not covering because like to me at this point that's a business choice on their part not to cover it and I think it's short-sighted and they're wrong but there are tons of people out there who I can point to and people can just follow them and they're going to show all of those people up they're going to embarrass the Young Turks they're going to embarrass the Intercept they're going to embarrass you know you name your progressive outlet that you think isn't picking up the slack they're going to embarrass them and people are going to wonder why they aren't there and i can tell you right now shadowproof and me the work we're doing we are benefiting from this void the fact that there are not outlets covering it i haven't gotten this much uh these this many donations and the kind of support that i'm receiving i haven't seen this in the last six months um what i've had in the last two weeks is far more than the last six months. So, I mean, I honestly don't understand why the Young Turks and other places wouldn't be engaged in this case because there is a hunger for it. But if that's their choice, it's their loss. And unfortunately, it isn't just a question of uh, of business, but it's also a question of, you know, are we going to stand up for journalism when it is in... Uh, when it's under such a clear attack by the Trump administration. And, you know, I thought that, like, progressives and liberals wanted to attack Donald Trump, and yet they seem very hesitant to fit this in to his war on journalism, even though I think it actually neatly fits into it. The thing is that I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think you're playing the role you should be playing, and I think you're right. I think this, this sort of uh, moment really demonstrates... Uh, which media outlets people should be supporting um, or throwing more support at. Um, But I also think, you know, like as somebody who, you know, I I do media criticism and so do you, but as someone who does media criticism, I don't think that the progressive left media should be immune from that criticism. I criticize the progressive left media a lot for its like failure to cover foreign policy the right way. Um, And this to me is a part of that uh, pattern. Um, this to me is a completely a part of that pattern. This is not about personal attacks. Um, it's not necessarily like, I think you're spending your time doing what you should be doing. Um, I'm not covering this case. I'm following your coverage of the case. Um, this is like your, this is what you do, you know, the national security whistleblower stuff. I mean, you've been covering this stuff since you've been a journalist. I think like WikiLeaks was like one of the first things you covered. Yeah. Um, so this is like your, this is your area. This is what you do and you're doing the right thing. Um, and I do, but I also think, you know, there is space to use this opera, use this as a, as a, as a time to also highlight who's not covering it. Cause I think it says a lot, uh-huh. regardless of the reason they decided not to. I think it says a lot. I think it says a lot about uh, democracy now that they don't really care about this issue. I think it says a lot about the intercept, a freaking outlet that was founded to, uh, to cover like, or to like be like an outlet that, you know, covers leaks and leaks and helps people leak stuff um after the snowden leaks you know that to what it's turned into now which was kind of amazing to see in the new york times article that came out last week um but i I mean i think that that that's important as well that's kind of also a part of the story in my opinion is like who's not covering this and we expect it from the corporate press right Mm -hmm. like like that's to be expected it's to be expected we we expect it because they hate julian assange but like 
what's the excuse for the left? You got, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's important to me to understand. And I mean, I have theories on why this or that outlet isn't covering it. And maybe we can talk more about all those kinds of things another time, but I think it fits in. It, it's, I think it can be explained by why those same outlets that I just mentioned are so terrible on, for example, regime change in Syria or what the U S is doing in Nicaragua. Um, yeah. in my opinion. Well, can I just say, uh, cause, uh, democracy now has actually covered this and done some segments. They're not doing daily. They absolutely could. But, uh, Amy and Dennis Moynihan dedicated their column to their weekly column to Julian Assange and the extradition oh, trial they? in London. Well, that's good yeah. And they also had Daniel Ellsberg on, um, see our preview. Ellsberg is the only person who's like allowed. <laughs> yeah. See, so like that, I mean, I can, I could kind of complain. I would, you know, maybe in, uh, the earlier part of the year I would have complained, but I've done so many interviews right now that the fact that Dem democracy now passed me over or maybe some more mainstream outlets haven't, I've, I've gotten so many requests in the last two weeks that yeah, I, I'm glad to hear. I've been doing like two and three interviews per day for the last week uh, with. And I interviewed you. I interviewed you last week, and it was one of the best interviews I've ever done. I think, by the way, if anybody has not gone to watch it, uh, yeah. go to the Soapbox Instagram account and check out the interview I did with Kevin on Julian Assange. You were fantastic. So I understand. I mean, you are the person people should be interviewing on this. I don't think. I really don't think there's anybody else who's followed it as closely and diligently as you have. I certainly don't believe anybody's waking up at three in the morning um, <laughs> besides you in, on the, in the U uh, S to, um, to be able to be awake for these proceedings. Uh, like the level of commitment is, is really important. And I think it demonstrates like, like, yeah, I mean, as like, I just think like it, it demonstrates like that you are a journalist through and through, um, and that's really important for people to understand. That's why you should become a patron of the show. <laughs> yeah, you should support both of our work. I, let me just say, uh, I, I do want to share something from these proceedings that I think is interesting and important. And I think you'll actually uh, appreciate hearing yourself uh, just because it speaks to why this is a significant, significant extradition trial. And it's new and it's, it's, it's different from what we went over in our patron exclusive episode, which you know, if you wanted to hear that, I encourage you all to go back to last week's episode after you become a patron and, and, and listen, because we talked for a bit about the first week of these uh, proceedings. But I just want you to know that I find it kind of counterintuitive for me to shame other media and journalists who aren't covering the trial when I am like, can you understand that that doesn't really make sense to me because I, I, I just don't like, I, like, I think we've clearly shown to our listeners that if, if you want to do that, that's fine. If they want to do that, that's fine. If other people want to complain about media coverage, I think that's entirely appropriate but I've had people who seem to expect this from me and I am just not going to spend my energy trying to drag media outlets kicking and screaming to care about this case when I am already doing that and I think I'm doing a better job than they ever would. And so I think the question then becomes how do we elevate and amplify independent and alternative media? And so far I'm you know, things are working out pretty well. I've had Glenn Greenwald and Edward Snowden share my coverage, Daniel Ellsberg sharing my coverage. 
I have people involved in the WikiLeaks legal team that share my coverage. I have people who are diplomatic officials who share my coverage. And so it's getting as much attention, if not more, than pieces that are published by Reuters or The Guardian. And I feel like that sort of resolves the issue of, is there a void because the New York Times isn't reporting on it? I mean, the, the New York Times published an article, Ronnie, and it was about the technical difficulties in the courtroom. And to me, that's just not what's at stake here. Like, the fact that the court is having trouble talk about, with a talk video about link. I mean, I mean, the fact that they're struggling with a video link during the extradition trial is frustrating to journalists. But the, uh, the, the reporter who did it, her name's Megan. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's kind of, the, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that might be upsetting to you, but you're not the story. Like you're, it's like it's like covering a war <laughs> and writing an article about how the food is, like you can't get any good food. <laughs> like I haven't eaten a decent meal. You know, I've been covering. I've been in this war zone for a week, and I haven't eaten a decent meal. Yeah, you know, like the hotel accommodations just aren't what they used to be. So I'd like to tell you <laughs> that that the room service has gone downhill since the bombing started. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's hilarious. No, but I see where you're coming from, and I, I, I think you're, I think you have the right attitude. Uh, so the thing I wanted so to share, yeah. the thing I wanted to share was, uh, have you, uh, you might know a little bit about Khaled El Masri's case. Um, have you, uh, does that name ring a bell at all? Uh, fresh my memory. Okay, so, um, I'll just get to it. So. Khaled uh, was the victim of uh, CIA kidnapping, torture, and rendition back in 2004. He was in Macedonia. He was on a vacation. The Macedonian authorities uh, arrested and interrogated and held him for uh, several days until a CIA team in black masks and black gear came and abducted him and put him on an airplane. He was actually... uh, sodomized and um he was stripped naked and he was put into a tracksuit and he was loaded on an aircraft and spread eagled on the plane and transferred to the afghanistan prison i believe it was the salt prison that's the, or the salt pit i think that's what they call it in afghanistan and uh it's uh place where high profile detainees were transferred uh they realized he was not who they thought it was a case of mistaken identity, but he was kept there for uh, many more weeks and he went on a hunger strike. And in his 34th day, uh, he shared with the court in the ex in the extradition trial that uh, he was force fed. Um, eventually he was released, but he was threatened before he was released. The CIA said if he told anything about this to the media or local authorities in Germany, where he's from, he's a German citizen. If you talk to them, that uh, I suppose there would be some kind of consequences. Uh, they didn't make it clear what they would do to him, but it's a CIA, so uh, and they just uh, kidnapped and tortured you, so that's scary. And he was reverse renditioned. They put him back on a plane with his clothes and his suitcase. They dropped him off in Albania. Um, then I think the plane just takes off, took off. And the police found him there and wondered what he was doing. He didn't have any papers or documentation to explain why he was in Germany. Uh, I'm sorry, why he was in Albania. And eventually he made his way back to Germany. And he spent 
all this time from, you know, 2004 onward, trying to get help from the ACLU to get justice in the U.S., he was involved in a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit to uncover documents about what happened to him. Uh, Germany wanted to prosecute the members of the team that abducted him, but in the WikiLeaks cables that were published, the cables that came from Chelsea Banning, it was revealed that the U.S. government had pressured the German government not to indict members of the CIA team that tortured him. And so this was crucial. This played a role in the European Court of Human Rights decision that he was able to win against Macedonia for their role in his uh, torture and rendition. And the court issued a ruling, and it was in his favor, and it, it mentioned that the WikiLeaks cables were put out, and so it formed part of the basis for giving him the small amount of justice he was able to win. And so now, in this case, in the extradition case, he defied CIA intimidation, and he is standing with Julian Assange at great risk to him. He's faced, like, really um, incredible uh, uh, impediments uh, to his life ever since all of this. He describes in his statement to the court how he's uh, been, like, trapped on the motorway by cars. He's seen... Uh, CIA, or not CIA, but he's had unidentified people approach his children in very uh, suspicious manners, um, and that also he's complained to the police about what he believed was harassment, and they tried to institutionalize him in a mental facility. And so um, he's struggled and, and lived in some semblance of fear for these past years as he's been trying to get Justice, And again, I repeat, the U.S. has never been held accountable for what they did to him. And so now in this case, recognizing that Julian Assange played a critical role and people learning some truth of what happened to him, he uh, submitted testimony in this extradition court. And that is amazing because it goes to the public interest defense that Julian Assange won't be able to put on in the Espionage Act trial against him if he is brought to the United States because the Espionage Act says you can't say why you published the classified information. So they're bringing this before the judge and very clearly showing that Julian exposed war crimes and torture. And uh, you know, here's someone who survived it, who supports Julian Assange against the United States. That's an incredible story. That's incredible. Um, just wow. I, I, I mean, I remember that, that story in particular because it's so wild. Cause like it was the mistaken identity, but, uh, to have heard that in court must've been really powerful. Yeah. And, uh, to, to add to it, uh, just the circumstances of how it was presented. So right. there was an interpreter that was supposed to be lined up for Khaled to testify during the final day of the second week. And the technical difficulties were so substantial that they weren't able to make it happen. So they ended up only reading a statement he had into the record. And actually, there was some talk about not reading from it. And uh, Julian Assange stood up and he basically told the judge, you are not going to silence a torture victim. And... Uh, so it's, you know, there's been these moments throughout the proceedings where Julian Assange has greatly objected to how 
the court is is managing this. Um, and sadly, I have to say, um, I don't really appreciate this at all. And I think we should throw all of our criticism in this direction, in the direction of these outlets like the Sydney Morning Herald, who apparently have this woman with a really vast record of character assassination against Julian Assange and not taking this seriously. And uh, she published some bullshit about how Julian Assange was like being unruly in the courtroom again. And uh, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I've had people from Australia come chime in to me and tell me how media works there after I get outraged, like I, I should be desensitized to it. <laughs> but uh, like I got pissed off at the Australian, which is a rag that Rupert Murdoch has owned because um, they published this thing. Wiki, uh, Ju- uh, Assange revealed names of informants. And I was like, I watched the proceedings. That was not the part of the proceedings at all. I don't know where the journalist is getting this. Uh, they said, well, that's a government. It's a, basically a mouthpiece for the president of Australia, uh, the Australian. The way that the week ended was highly dramatic. So I appreciate the chance to share it on this episode because I think it was uh, Ellsberg and then Khaled al-Masri were like the huge highlights. But of course... You already saw Ellsberg if you're a huge Young Turks fan, so you don't need me to recap it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what a, you? I mean, you're going to come out of this. You should write a book. Yeah, probably. No, um, like, really, you should write a book. I think that you could really, like, not just on the trial of Julian Assange, but, like, just, with, like, because you, you have just so much material from when you started covering Chelsea Manning, then Bradley Manning, to now. Like, so much. There's, like, so many stories in there. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I don't want to say that this is going to be the thing we talk about every week until the end of September, but I hope it's sufficiently interesting to people because it probably will come up in any future episodes. But I don't know what... I don't know what your schedule is like next week, Ronnie, but maybe we could line up a guest and talk to somebody uh, yeah, about Yeah, next the- week, just just to be clear, next week I will be in L.A., so I'll be in a bit of a different time zone. I don't quite know my schedule yet, but I'm sure that we could work something out. It'll likely have to be audio. Yeah, that's um, fine. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. We'll see. We'll have to go with the flow next week. Um, but after next week, I should be back to, like, a normal schedule. And, I and like, yeah. I know, because I know you've been traveling, and then before I was traveling, so it's just been harder to do video recently, but we'll get back to it soon. I think it's okay. I've had some people complain to me before about doing video and be like, give me my podcast, I want to listen to you, and it's just like, you know, there's a lot of labor that goes into this. I'm going to have to pick either or. I'm really sorry that I can't deliver both video and, and audio at the exact same time, but... It's yeah. a really, it's really a tall order for a, a little scrappy podcast like ours to to try to like. If you would like to give us uh, <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars, we can definitely up the quality and the and the quantity oh, and the uh, different modes of of what <laughs> of consub of communication. Respectfully, uh, what I would do, do is be a job creator and give somebody like a a, a, like a role. Yeah, I'd, ha- I'd have somebody help. 
So, like, I've been doing, I went on Scott Horton's show twice now, and he actually has a guy that is in charge of, like, lining all of that up and bringing me in, yep. and I never talk to Scott, and then I go on and I do his show, and it's just like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone could do that? For us, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, if you did want someone to do that for us, keep that in mind. Um, if you're listening and you have me sitting on all that extra money, here's a good place to put it. <laughs> <laughs> all right note, well we know that uh, there's other things happening in the world but i suppose they're getting the attention they deserve and and julian assange's case is not um as is the consensus and uh so i hope you'll appreciate if we spend most of september coming back to this i'll try not to repeat myself and say the exact same thing uh, week to week but this is the first episode we're making available to the entire public uh, the last week was just for patrons right so everybody who's listening who's not a patron i hope you enjoyed this and you become one so you can hear all of our other excellent coverage as you were as you if you've made it to the end you know kevin's the only one doing it so there you have it on that note thank you so much for listening uh thank you to our patrons for supporting us and we'll be back soon